This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet Union's last leader, died in the hospital in Moscow, aged 91. As president, he launched a set of policies known as Perestroika and Glasnost, aimed at opening the Soviet economy and democratising its politics. Mr Gorbachev also cultivated warmer relations with the West and supported communist reformers in Central and Eastern Europe. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1990 and reluctantly watched the Soviet Union collapse in 1991. Ukraine claimed to have destroyed bridges across the Dnieper River in its counteroffensive in the Russian-occupied region of Kherson and to have pushed into the Eastern Front as well. Meanwhile, UN inspectors set out from Kyiv, Ukraine's capital, to visit the Zaporizhnia nuclear power plant, though Ukrainian officials accused Russia of trying to sabotage the mission. At a meeting in Prague, European Union defence ministers considered a proposal to train Ukrainian troops, which America, Britain and several EU countries are already doing. Taiwan warned on Wednesday it would counterattack Chinese forces that entered its territory and refused to leave. China has increased its military drills around Taiwan following the recent visit of Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of America's House of Representatives. On Tuesday, the self-governing island, which Beijing claims as its own, fired warning shots at a Chinese drone for the first time. Gazprom, Russia's state-owned energy giant, turned off the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany on Wednesday, per schedule, ostensibly for a few days' repair. It also said it would suspend its supply of natural gas to Engie, a utility firm based in Paris, on Thursday. Gazprom blamed a billing dispute, though a French minister said that Russia is simply using gas as a weapon of war. The UN appealed for $160 million in aid to help victims of Pakistan's floods, which have now submerged a third of the country. Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary-General, blamed the disaster squarely on climate change and sleepwalking towards the destruction of our planet. More than 1,100 Pakistanis are known to have been killed, and half a million are now living in camps. The country's planning minister warned of imminent food shortages. Microsoft provoked ferocious responses from Alphabet and Amazon after it offered a new policy in answer to EU antitrust regulators, who were keen to curb the tech giant's market power. A software licensing program could benefit consumers who subscribe to both Microsoft's software and its cloud storage, and make it easier, the firm claims, for customers to switch providers. Its rivals think that bundling its services will have the opposite effect. NASA said it would try again to launch its Artemis rocket on Saturday. An attempt to do so on Monday was thwarted by a problem with an engine, possibly a faulty sensor. It is supposed to be the American Space Agency's first step towards taking humans back to the moon and eventually to Mars. And fact of the day. 64%. The share of American pharmacists struggling to get enough Adderall, a stimulant drug, according to a new survey. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Europe hits the gas on energy reform. 
Preventative maintenance of its pipelines is how Russia reminds Europeans of its energy chokehold on the continent. On Wednesday, it will close down for three days Nord Stream 1, a pipeline that delivers natural gas from Russia to Germany and beyond. That will rattle Europeans, who are trying to refuel ahead of winter. Gas prices soared on the news last week. The flow through Nord Stream 1 has already thinned, following 10 days of maintenance in July. Russia says sanctions have made it difficult to source parts to keep it running properly. Germany denies that. Either way, expensive gas is pushing up energy tariffs across Europe, squeezing the finances of households and governments. That has prompted the EU to mull an emergency measure to decouple gas and electricity prices, though details remain scarce. A structural reform of the energy market is also brewing, as European leaders seek to move past Russia's pipeline politics. The UN faces its own deadline. The departing UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, has promised to end her tenure on Wednesday with the release of a long-awaited report on Xinjiang. The western Chinese region, where the state appears to run a gulag for Uyghurs, a Muslim minority of 12 million, is home to some of the world's most glaring attacks on human rights. Yet the UN report has been three years in the works, and its publication delayed for months. That is testimony of China's leverage over the organization. China issued a letter, signed by some 40 other countries, requesting the UN to bury the report. Last week, Miss Bachelet revealed her office was under tremendous pressure over its publication. The commissioner faces two tests. The first is whether she will meet her own publication deadline. The second is how harshly she will be willing to criticize China. Her heavily controlled visit to Xinjiang in May dampened hopes. Feeling the Heat of the COP27 Summit On Wednesday, climate and environment ministers from the G20 countries, the world's leading economies, will meet in Bali, Indonesia. They will be focused on COP27, a UN climate summit to be held in Egypt in November. At the previous summit in Glasgow last year, world leaders acknowledged that their pledges to reduce carbon emissions were not nearly strong enough to meet the previously agreed goal of keeping global temperatures well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. They vowed to do better. But so far, only two G20 countries have made good on that promise. Australia now plans to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 43% by 2023, against 2005 levels, up from the previous figure of 26-28%. to India, meanwhile, promises a cut of 45% over the same period, up from 33-35%. to provided that it receives international resources to reach the goal. With less than 10 weeks till COP27, expect a squabble in Bali over who should offer what and, as ever, who should pay. 
Tragedy Foretold in Ethiopia's War Both Ethiopia's government and the rebels accused the other of shooting first. A fragile truce which held up for five months in the country's north has crumbled. Fierce fighting around the border between the Tigray and Amhara regions is spreading. Hopes for a peace deal between the federal government and the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, TPLF, have been dashed. Tigray has been under siege for more than a year. TPLF leaders warned they would restart the fight if Abiy Ahmed, Ethiopia's prime minister, failed to release the hold. Abiy's government refused talks appended by such preconditions. Two days after the ceasefire collapsed on August 24th, its forces struck Tigray's capital, Mekele, killing at least four people, including two children. The Tigrayans have since gathered momentum, advancing towards the Amhara town of Weldia and threatening to seize it. That might just be a precursor to a strike westwards to reclaim territory annexed by Amhara at the start of the war. Venice makes up for lost time. After two quiet years overshadowed by the pandemic, the world's oldest film festival returns on Wednesday, with an abundance of high-profile films from Oscar-winning directors. The 79th Gala in Venice opens with White Noise, an adaptation of Don DeLeo's novel written and directed by Noah Baumbach, responsible for Marriage Story in 2019. The following days will feature screenings of Andrew Dominic's Blonde, based on Joyce Carol Oates's fictionalized biography of Marilyn Monroe, Bardo, a Mexican semi-autobiographical comedy-drama from Alejandro Iñárritu, The Revenant, and Bones and All, a cannibal road movie starring Timothy Chalamet and directed by Luca Guaranino, Call Me By Your Name. That lineup of the festival's favorite male directors will be supplemented by Olivia Wilde. She is making her Venice debut with a 1950s-set mystery, Don't Worry, Darling, featuring her pop singer-boyfriend Harry Styles. Cinema-starved fans and paparazzi alike will be in for a feast. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday Katanas and Daos are Asian versions of which type of weapon? Tuesday. Which American state contains both Bryce Canyon and Zion National Parks? Finally, here's the quote of the day. Genius is nothing more or less than childhood recovered at will. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. 
You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.